Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Acts chapter 4 is where we will move into for the next part of this service. Acts chapter 4. Praise God. And let's look specifically at verse 11. Acts chapter 4 verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Speaking of Jesus Christ, the stone which has become the head of the corner, or we would refer to this as the cornerstone, and in, in laying a foundation... The cornerstone sets the angle. The cornerstone sets the building. The, the cornerstone is an establishing mark. And so Jesus is the cornerstone. The Amplified uses that in its uh, translation. It says, This Jesus is the stone which was despised and rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the head of the corner, the cornerstone. Hallelujah. We've been singing about the birth of Jesus this morning. And we're in a season where we celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ being born as a man. Coming to this earth in the form and the fashion of a man. Legally born into the earth to become the, uh, the uh, uh, shepherd of the sheep. Hallelujah. And we celebrate Jesus his entry, we celebrate Jesus over Easter. We look at all of that he accomplished in the cross, in the burial, in the resurrection. Hallelujah. And I want to even go into his present day ministry. His present day ministry today. He is the head of the corner. He is the cornerstone. Jesus is the one who sets the delineation marks for us to live our lives in line with the, the standard that he sets, with the direction that he has, with the attitudes, with the uh, perceptions. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is not randomly waiting in heaven, twiddling his thumbs waiting to get to ride his horse. Jesus is very active and employed in the work of the church active and employed in the lives of the saints. And a lot of times we have such a, a vision individually of the Lord, of His interaction with us individually, that we miss the panoramic picture of Jesus as the head of the church. Jesus as the different uh, responsibilities that He currently operates in today. And when we began to see his responsibility and see his interaction, we began to recognize the, the 
larger scale upon which he is operating. And so I want to look at a few things concerning what he is currently doing today, what Jesus is currently employed in today. First of all, Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 refers to Jesus as our high priest. Now because most of us were not brought up under uh, the Old Testament standard of worshiping, uh, we may not, until we get into the Word of God, understand that title of high priest. But after we take a little bit of time to go back through the Old Testament and study and recognize what God instituted in the Old Testament worship, we see that the high priest was the one who represented the people to God and represented God to the people. That was the role of the high priest. Do not confuse this with the the operations of a Catholic priest today. That is not the standard that Jesus uh, is is referring to or, or the scripture is referring to concerning Jesus. It's referring to the actions of the Old Testament high priest who began with Aaron, who represented God to the people and the people to God. He was the one who was responsible to carry the offering into the Holy of Holies. No one else was permitted into the Holy of Holies except for the high priest. And he had certain protocols for him to follow, to be qualified to go in to the presence of God. And he carried the offerings, the blood of the people, the blood of the the sacrifices that the people had brought representing the lives of the people. And he poured that blood upon the mercy seat representing to God the people who had brought those offerings, the people who had brought their animals to shed the blood. And then he would also, it was required of him to carry himself and to dress in a certain way because he was representing God to the people. Amen? And so he, in, in certain situations, we see that he had the umim and the thumim. And so when there were decisions that need to be made, he would seek God. And so that was a representation for him to help people hear from God. And so when it says that Jesus is our high priest, there is a differentiation in Jesus because the the book of Psalms says this, and then Hebrews also records it, that God swore Jesus in as a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That God has sworn. None of the Old Testament high priests were established in their position with an oath from God. But Jesus has been established in the position as the high priest with an oath from God saying that he will forever stand in that place, in that position, in that representation, representing us to God and God to us. Hallelujah! He is sworn in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus is the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek, in the Old Testament, we see him interacting with Abram before Abram's name was changed to Abraham. But Abram tithed to Melchizedek, who was the priest of Salem. He was the high priest of God for that day. He was the priest of Salem, and he was the king as well. So he was a king and a priest. 
He was a king and a priest. None of the Levitical priesthood or the, the priesthood under Aaron, none of them were, were kings and priests. And, but Jesus is high priest after the order of Melchizedek because Jesus is the king of kings and he is the high priest of God. And it says in the book of Revelations that because of Jesus' blood, he has made you and I to become kings and priests. We are now the holy priesthood. We are kings who have dominion. We are established as the righteous dominion and authority in Jesus' name. Amen. We have dominion as kings, but we are also priests. Anointed to approach God, to represent God to others and, and, and to bring their needs to God. Amen? So we are also in that order because we're in Christ, that order. But he is our high priest. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it speaks of another office that Jesus holds. He is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. All of us who have come to know Jesus as Lord has come because he mediated for us. We needed this when we came to God, we needed someone to mediate for us because we had no ground to stand on. None of us were worthy to approach God. None of us were righteous to approach God. None of us had the spiritual equipment or the spiritual standing to enter into the presence of God and receive from Him. But Jesus, being our mediator, He mediated for us and gave us a ground upon which to stand. Jesus, by His blood, has opened this new and living way to the Father, and we all needed a mediator. And so anyone who is coming to God for their first time, who do not have a relationship with God, who have not been born again, in order for them to approach God, they will need a mediator. They cannot approach God without Him. Amen? They have to come through Jesus Christ. They have to come through His finished work. They have to come upon the ground that He makes available. So that mediator is, the, the work He does as our mediator gives us that ability to enter in and then we receive and become born again and then we will need a different role for him to operate in. Today, because I'm a daughter of God, I'm a, a, a son of God, a female son of God, I don't need him to mediate for me, but there are times I need him to intercede for me. So the mediator role is for anyone who is outside of a relationship with God, the, those who we are leading to Christ, we're leading them to Christ so that Christ can connect them to the Father. And then Hebrews 7.25 talks about him being our intercessor. Those of us who are born again, who are made righteous 
by his blood. We have that relationship with God, but there are times we're not perfect in our walk. Can I get a a double amen? Amen, amen. There are times we're not perfect in our walk. There are times we fail. There are times that we need we need him to help us, to intercede for us. And so it says here in Hebrews 7, 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. So we're seeing things that Jesus currently does that he will always have a role In that manner, we see that he is the high priest forever, sworn by God, high priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, God will not have to replace Jesus as high priest like he had to replace Aaron. He is our high priest forever. We see that he ever lives to make intercession for us. To make intercession. And uh, those of you who have heard me teach on intercession before, intercession is not a prayer. Although there is a prayer wherein, by which you can apply intercession. Intercession is a work that Jesus has accomplished. Jesus is the intercessor. And the word intercessor, intercessor or intercession means to go between. To go between. So Jesus was our intercessor going, putting one hand in the hand of God and one hand on humanity and those who come to God by Him. Now we have that connection. He has interceded for us. Amen? Amen. Intercession also applies to the work He did in defeating the devil and taking us out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of God's dear Son because He had to go between the hold that Satan had on us and break that hold. So he interceded in breaking Satan's control off of our life and he also interceded when he connected us in relationship with God the Father. That is the work of intercession and is completed. The prayer of intercession applies that completed work. The prayer of intercession employs that completed work. The prayer of intercession administers that completed work. So there may be family members that you've been interceding for and you're not trying to convince God to save them. I hope. I hope that you're coming on the basis of his word and saying, Father, you want my family saved more than I do. You said there's not one person you want to see perish, but you desire that all men would come to know you through Jesus Christ. So, Father, I come and I'm applying the work of intercession that Jesus has accomplished and I take authority over the devil who is mind-blinding my family members who's lied to them and made them believe a lie and I break that lie off their life and I cast down that imagination and I pray for the light of the gospel to shine in their life and I pray, Father, for them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that, Father, you would draw them by your Spirit so that they would come to Jesus. Now, all of those things are scriptural applications. Do you see that? Jesus said, no man comes unto me except the Father draw him. Well, let's ask him to draw our family, right? He says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the casting down of imaginations, pulling down of strongholds, taking captive every thought that uh, tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Well, I can use that against my family 
the, the mind blinding that the enemy's doing in my family life. It's not just for me. Those weapons aren't just for me. I want to pray and, and, and cast down that imagination that comes against someone in my family who's believing that God doesn't love them or God doesn't you know, want to help them. I want them to see truth. And it says the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so that the gospel would be hid from them. But we don't want the gospel. Listen, if your family member knew what you knew about God, they'd, they'd come running to him. Amen? So we want them to know what we know about God. The work of intercession has already been completed. We can apply that work in a prayer of intercession. But notice here it says that Jesus is our intercessor. So there may be times that I need that intercession and he ever lives to make intercession for me. Praise God for his faithfulness. It also refers to him in 1 John 2, 1 as our advocate. Our advocate. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If any man sin, we have an advocate. So if we sin, we need to deal with it by going to him. We need to confront it. We need to admit it. We need to, to go to him and repent of it. Amen? That is how he is able, because of our repenting, repenting is a beautiful thing. Repenting is, a, is, is an escape route. It, it, repenting is something that we need to be quick. The Bible says be quick to repent. We need to practice. We need to, if, I mean, if we get a bad attitude, I mean, if you even think about saying something ugly of that person who pulled out in front of you, go ahead and repent. Just go ahead and say, Lord, forgive me and bless them. Bless them, bless them, bless them. Somebody treats you really mean and they, 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 they're ugly to you. Just, just bless them. Just, if, I mean, just repent for anything that you tried to think about them and just, just bless them. Amen. But that repenting, he said, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, we don't want to take advantage of that. We want to respect that. But there are times that in, in all of us need his work in our life as our advocate. I failed. I had a bad attitude. I said something I shouldn't have said. I acted a way I shouldn't have acted. I've done something I shouldn't have done. And rather than walk around in condemnation and guilt and, and misery being in, in that separation where God's not able to minister to me the way he would like because of that, that condemnation in my life, I'll just go straight to Jesus the righteous who is my advocate and say, forgive me. And he, you know what? He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. Cleanse me immediately of anything that would hinder my walk with God, anything that would condemn me. Amen? Amen. So he is our constant advocate with the Father. Hallelujah. And the Bible refers to Jesus as the head of the church. Let's go over to Ephesians where it speaks of the authority that we have and the position that he's been given because of his obedience in the cross. Hallelujah. Ephesians 
I believe I want chapter 1. And let's begin in verse 17. That the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of, our, of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe. So for you to know these things, they are not naturally known. They are spiritually recognized. And he says the eyes of your understanding need to be enlightened. One translation says fully flooded with light. The, light, the eyes of your understanding flooded with light. Why? So that you can know what is the hope of his calling. So that you can know what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in, his, in the saints so that you can know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. And then he refers, referring to this power, helps us to understand it was the power he used when he raised Jesus from the dead. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And that's where it started. That's not the end of the working of that power. It raised him from the dead and set him. So the power continued in its working until Jesus was established or set at the right hand of the Father. He wants you to know the exceeding greatness of this power towards us. This power towards us that works in us, those who believe, because we believe that resurrection power has not only raised us out of spiritual death, we are no longer dead in, in trespasses and sins, but we have been made alive unto God. We've been raised out of spiritual death, but that's not where the power stopped. That was not the end of the working of this power. That power is continuing to establish you and has seated you at the right hand of the Father, which is a position of authority. It is a position of, of uh, dominion. So that power is working, that resurrection power is working in us through our believing because of our believing to position us in that authority and in that dominion and in that place of control, that jurisdiction over all the power of the enemy, that jurisdiction over sin, sickness, and disease, that jurisdiction over situations and circumstances in our life, that power is at work and you've got to see it with the eyes of your spirit to know it and to operate it. And then it says where this power operates, what it operates over far above all principality. So not only is Jesus in a position of dominion far above all principality, but you and I are in a position above all, far above all principality far above all power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. We're seeing eternal offices that our Lord stands in and we are eternal beings. We've got to think beyond this moment. We've got to see beyond this life. We've got to see beyond this temporary moment. We are working on eternal values. 
We are working on eternal positions. We are working on eternal workings because this is temporary. This life is but a vapor. Amen? But what we are, are working in is eternal kingdom business. We are the church. We are the sons of an eternal God. We are eternal sons of an eternal God with eternal value and eternal operations and workings for our life. So what we do on a daily basis should not just be natural things, but we should employ ourselves in kingdom business to make a mark that cannot be erased on the future of this planet, the future of the people walking on this planet. Far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but we are in position over all of these things in the world to come. Don't you think we need to get proficient? Don't you think we need to get skilled? I'm so glad years ago Joyce Myers said, if you can't get victory over a sink full of dirty dishes, how are you going to take authority over the devil? (laughs) I started realizing then I need to get disciplined in my life. Amen? Why? Because it's more than just this natural moment that my discipline is going to work for me. So now then it goes in verse 22 and it says, And he has put all things under his feet. And that put all things means put in subjection. He has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. God has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. Why? Because Jesus became a man. He said, the Father has given me authority because I am the Son of Man. He became a man, alive unto God, submitted to God, anointed by God. But he had to become a man because God gave man authority in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. He gave man, let us give man dominion. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let man have dominion. And so God had given dominion to man, but when Adam fell, there was no longer a righteous man, righteous in his spirit, alive unto God in his spirit. And God had to create covenant for people to interact with him righteously. And so there were people who obeyed the voice of God, who acted on the word of God and came into covenant with God. And God, is, God accounted that faith of Abraham as righteous, accounting his faith as righteousness. Why? Because he was acting on the word of God. But when Jesus was born, he was born of God. He was the second Adam, the second man, the last Adam. He came As a man, but he came alive unto God, and he has all authority given unto him. God has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be the head over all to the church. The head over all to the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And for someone to say, I don't need church to serve God. How can you say Jesus is my Lord, but I don't want to go to his church? Now, y'all are all here this morning. So we know what you believe. Amen. And so I'm not headhunting for anybody 
who may not be here today or anybody who thinks, but, but look at the absurdity of people in their mindset of thinking, I can just read my Bible and stay at home and I don't need church, but Jesus is the head of the church. He established the church. He's put gifts in the church. He put specific things in the church and he designed the church to be his organization, his plan. So for us to say Jesus is Lord, but I don't want to submit to his plan, we'd be in that category of people who say, Lord, Lord, but then he said, you call me Lord, Lord, but you won't act on my word. Uh Amen. So Jesus is the Lord and the head of the church. He has given him to be the head over all to the church, which is his body. The church is his body. The church is his body. The church is the fullness of Jesus who fills. Jesus is able to fill all in all, but he's not going to fill outside of his church. He's filling the body. He's filling the body. He is the the head. We are the body. It says his body is the fullness of Jesus. He will fill all in all, but he's going to fill the body. He's going to fill the church. So the church is vital. The church is of, of a number one importance to Jesus. The church should be that important to us. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to, uh, along that line, recognize where he has established his power. Because my, my goal today is to help us to understand how to plug into the power of God. How to plug into the power of God. How do I plug in the power that I need in my marriage? How do I plug into the power of God that I need in my finances? How do I plug into the power of God that I need for the ministry call that I believe He's placed on my life? Or I know He's got something for me to do. How do I get the power of God flowing in my life? And because we see Jesus being the head of the church and he is, we are the body, the church is the body and he's going, we are the fullness of him who fills, then the place to plug in to the power is in the church. All of the spiritual outlets are in the church. If you want to plug, you know, when, when one of my children uh, was always losing, uh, she, was all, she used her phone so much that it, was, it just needed to live plugged in. I mean, she just needed all the time. She was on that phone. And so we would go anywhere, and if it was a restaurant or an airport or whatever, she was going to hunt for an, an outlet She's got to have a plug because she needs to be energized. And so we had to sit wherever the plug was. And she would go stand in an awkward place just because there was a plug there and she could charge her phone. Well, if we want to plug into the power of God and have His flow in our lives, we're not going to be able to do that very far away from the church. All of the outlets, you might get an extension cord, (laughs) but it's not going to have the same effect as if you just come right in and plug into the church. Plug into the church. Plug into the local church. Amen? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 uh, uh, 
encourages us. I actually want to begin a few verses prior to that. Let's begin here in verse 21. It says, and having a high priest, we know this is referring to Jesus, who has made the new and the living way in the previous verse, because we have this boldness to enter, because we have a new and a living way that did not exist 2022 years ago, If you were to go back in time 2,022 years ago, there wasn't a new and a living way. People were still having to approach God through the animal blood and through the Old Testament protocols. But because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross 2,020, almost 21 years ago, hallelujah, we have a new and a living way. And because we have the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood, because we have a new and living way, we, we, it says, we have a high priest over the house of God. We have a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near because we have the blood, because we have the new and the living way. Let's walk that path and draw near to him. Let's boldly come to receive help from him. Let us draw near with the true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he's faithful that promise. So we're talking about things that we're continually doing. We're continually drawing near to God. We're continually coming, receiving that cleansing, walking in that fellowship with him. We're continually holding the profession of our faith without wavering because of his faithfulness. And we consider one another continually provoking each other to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but instead we are exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. Would you say we're closer to seeing the day approaching than the day this was written? I would. We're in the last of the last days for sure. And so it says here that verse 24 and 25 are connected. Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling, the assembling of ourselves together. The assembling of ourselves together. You know, in 1 Peter, and we're going to look at this in a moment, but it refers to us as a spiritual house, and we are each one of us living stones in a spiritual house. Hallelujah. And when we come together... We're creating that, that wholeness, that unity, that assembly, that assembling is, is putting the pieces together where they fit. If you've ever assembled a puzzle, you, there are specific places where each of those puzzle pieces fit, and the key is to assemble them correctly. And he says that in order for us to be able to consider one another, to provoke each other to love and to good works, that there needs to be the assembling, that coming together, that joining together, that creating of relationships, that's learning how to walk in love with each other, learning how to to carry one another's burdens, learning how to stand in faith with each other, how to believe God with each other, release our faith and bring our supply. 
to each other. You know, think about the Apostle Paul, how many times he looked at the different people who he was in relationship with in the churches that he had established. And he said, I know that this will turn for me because of your prayers for me and the supply of the Holy Spirit. Well, that supply of the Holy Spirit was being made available because of their prayers for him. If he had not had a relationship with them, how could they have prayed for him the way they prayed for him? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So our relationships, as we come together, as we join, it's not just us coming to church on our own, for our own benefit, for our own provision. We all get fed from the word of God, but he said when we come together, the assembling of ourselves together is for the purpose of us being an exhortation to each other, to be an edification to each other. Amen? And we can't do that through, through uh, any other means except the coming together, the assembling together. Amen? He said not forsaking. The word forsake means to desert or leave. Not leaving the assembling of ourselves together. Not deserting the assembling of ourselves together. But instead, even as we see the day approaching, assembling and exhorting and provoking each other to love and to good works more. Amen? And we're not about to add a service to the church, so don't get nervous. Okay, she's going to... This is all to prepare us. They're adding... No. Praise God. But, you know, we've got plenty of services for assembling. Yes. Assembling is taking place. Amen? Amen? So let's talk about some reasons to attend the local church. Reasons to attend and respect the local church. And I'm not going to read all of these. If they'll pull them up on the screen, we will work their fingers. Are you ready? Acts chapter 19 and verse 39, if you're taking notes, Acts 19 and 39. The, one of the reasons we attend church is because the Word of God refers to it as an assembly. It says, uh, if any inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Hallelujah. That, they were coming together to help establish things in the church. First uh, Peter, I referred to in chapter 2 and verse 5, says that, the church is a spiritual house. Now, we are all stones in the building of this, but we are living stones. And when we come together, we're built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 identifies two other aspects of the house of God. It says, first of all, that we are the house of God and in 1 Timothy 3.15, it also says we are the, the house of God is the pillar of God and the ground of the truth. We see three things here. He's, this is pastor's favorite verse from the, his teaching on the uh, local church, the hope of the world. It says, uh, but if I tarry long that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. Is that important that we know how to behave ourselves in the house of God? It says the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Well, we know we're not talking about this building per se because this building isn't a living house. A li we, it's made, the, the house of God is made up of living stones. We are the house of God. We're just in this building. Amen. We're just meeting in this building. 
Eventually, we'll be in a bigger building, but we'll still be the house of God. Amen? And so it says the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So if the, the church, what does a pillar do? Well, a pillar in a, a building, if you've ever seen any of those big stone buildings that have the pillars, those pillars are a support. Uh, they are a structural support system that holds the weight, that holds the structure and maintains the stability of that structure. The church is the pillar of the truth for God. The church is supposed to be that support system for our lives, that structure that gives us the, the truth of God to maintain the stability of our marriages and maintain the stability of our, our future. Hallelujah. And it is the ground, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And that ground is referring to a foundation. That ground is referring to something that is sure and stable. Not the sand that Jesus referred to in the parable of those who did not, they heard but they did not act on what, he, what they heard. He said they were building their house on sand. And when the storm came and the floods and the wind, their house fell and great was the fall of it because they built their house on sand. But building the house on the solid ground established a protection against the storm, a keeping during the same winds and the same floods that came against the other house, this house stood and it could not be shaken. Amen? So the church provides us this ground by bringing us the steady word of God, by establishing truth in our lives, hallelujah, and, and challenging us to grow. You know, one of the things that is not going to happen for a person who is just trying to walk with God on their own uh, without, uh, you know, any pressure being put on them to grow, number one, you can walk in love easy if you don't have to deal with anybody. Amen. It's when you have people in the house with you that you find out, oh, I got to walk in love with them. And I don't want to have a soft answer that turns away wrath. I want to get the last word in. See, if you're all by yourself, serving God all by yourself, you're never challenged to walk in love. You're never challenged to look at something uh, that you may, be, uh, you may be coming at it with, with a little bit of doubt. You may be dealing with compromising some areas of your life, but then you come and the word of God reveals things to you and you think, ooh, I got to do that. I need to get better. I need to be, I need to forgive. I need to walk in love with that person. I need to drop it, leave it, let it go. I need to, I mean, whatever scripture it is that the Holy Spirit brings to you to challenge you, that's how you grow. That's how we grow. Amen. You know, the purpose of the, the, in the walk of God, we're not supposed to remain the same. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow thereby. Not stay the same. Not, not, not just tiptoe through the tulips and whistle while you work. No, but you need to grow thereby. There are areas 
that, that the Holy Spirit through the local church helps us to become that perfected. It says that he has given gifts unto men. And talking about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor, that those gifts were for the perfecting, the maturing, the developing of the people of God. So the people of God can do the work of the ministry because we can't do the work of the ministry with our flesh all hanging out. Help us, Lord. We can't do the work of the ministry all carnal and with envyings and jealousy and wranglings. You know what I'm referring to? In the book of Hebrews chapter 3, it said, I, I should be able to speak to you, but have mercy. I need to teach you. You need, you, you, you need to go back to the elementary things, right? They should have been teaching. Is it 1 Corinthians chapter 3 I think I'm referring to? Let me look at it. Why am I going here? I'm trying to say something else, but we're going to follow what the Holy Spirit says. I think I want 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Brethren, they were born again. They were, they were children of God, but they hadn't grown and they hadn't matured to be able to receive spiritual talk, spiritual revelation. They had, and, and I cannot speak to you on a spiritual level with spiritual understanding. But I have to speak to you as though you're carnal, even as babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat because before now you were not able to chew the meat or to bear it. Neither yet now can you chew the meat. So there were spiritual, meaty, heavy things that he wanted that they should have been able to be talking about, but he had to go back and talk about something else. Why? Because they were carnal. There were, and what was the evidences of their carnality? Envy. Envy. Envy and strife and divisions. Envy and strife. So if we were to... Flip that, what's the reciprocal? Spiritual people are not envious, but they're loving. They're developed in love. Remember, love does not envy and it does not boil over with jealousy, right? So with a spiritual development, I'm not going to be envious of how God uses you, how God blesses you. I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to, there's not going to be anything in me that is upset when you are promoted. Nothing in me that's going to be intimidated or offended because of you receiving from God or receiving a blessing or, or whatever. I'm going to be nothing envying. Amen? Nothing of a division. Nothing separating us. Why? Because love connects us. And so this spirituality, us being spiritual versus carnal... We have to be in church developing this. It has to be in the coming together. There has to be us assembling together and learning how to love each other and how to bring that love in prayer and bring that love in believing for each other and bring that love in serving. The Bible says, serve, by love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. So one of the greatest ways that you can love is Vacuuming the floor and cleaning a toilet. I'm cleaning a toilet because I love the people who are going to sit on this toilet today. 
I love the people who are going to walk on this floor. They might get, they might, the power of God might come on them and they fall out on the floor and they're going to fall on a clean floor because I love the people who come to this church. And I'm going to serve God by serving people. And uh, God doesn't have a, a floor for you to vacuum in heaven, but he's got a floor for you to vacuum at faith builders. Amen. He's got to, to greet at the door, to serve in the children's ministry, to serve in the nursery, to serve in the youth department, to serve in, in, in the media department, in the AV department. Hallelujah. What am I doing? I'm by love. I'm serving one another. Amen. I'm serving one another on that computer, pulling up all those scriptures real fast. Amen. Hallelujah. Why? Because I want people to be blessed. I want people to be able to receive from God in the service. So this, this recognition of my need for spiritual maturity being connected to my attendance or my participation in the house of God is vital for me to see the plan that God has for me. Uh, when we recognize... Let me finish here. We've got uh, an assembly. Did you get that in Acts 19.39? A spiritual house, 1 Peter 2.5. The house of God, the pillar of God, the ground of the truth in 1 Timothy 3.15. Ephesians 2.22 says we are the habitation of God. In whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God. Hallelujah. That's why... When we come together and we yield to the moving of His Spirit, there are times we receive manifestations of God moving in our midst in ways that we can't receive by ourselves alone because it's a corporate anointing. We're coming together as a family. We're coming together as the family of God to receive from our Father. We are a habitation of God, builded together with that assembling. Also in Ephesians 2, verses 20 and 21, talks about uh, a building or a holy temple. Beginning in verse 20, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, that's us, we are the building, fitly framed together, grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. So the church is a building that God is building and a holy temple, a habitation of God. Hallelujah. And then finally in 1 Peter 5, 2, it refers to us as the flock of God. We are the flock of God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the flock of God. When he says to Tim, or to, when Peter is, is teaching here, he says, feed the flock of God. Feed the family of God. Feed the people of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Hallelujah. Be of a ready mind. Why? Because we are God's people. We are God's people. And spiritual people, the more that we grow and develop spiritually, we'll see each other as a son of God, a daughter of God. We'll say, Brother Rich Notestein, he's not just somebody I attend church with. He is the Son of God, and I respect Him as a man of God. I respect Him as one who's been blood-washed. Amen? And, and bringing our spiritual love for each other. 
Also, the local church keeps us in victory. The churches, don't try to write all these down. Just get the tape and you can follow it because I'm going to move through them. The church is vital to our lives as Christians because it is where we learn the foundational truths of God's Word, where we learn character, stability, and faithfulness, where we discover our gifts and our talents, where we discover the unique anointing on our lives, where we develop relationships that sharpen us, where we learn to respect and honor God's leaders, where we learn to submit to authority. That's a big one. You can't do that through live stream, can you? <laughs> submit to authority, where our faith in God is matured. It's where we learn to seek God. We learn to witness the, we witness the power of God in the church. We learn the power of forgiveness and where we train our children in the things of God. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. Training our children in the things of God. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. This is one of the most uh, uh, vital aspects of the local church because God has established for us to feed His Word on each level of understanding, from nursery, children, youth, adolescents, and adults. So we see in Hebrews 11, we have the hall of fame of faith, and it says, By faith Noah, verse 7, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear or respect, he acted on it out of respect in obedience to God. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is of faith. He prepared an ark. He built for many years and his family received the benefit of that. You know, God never intended for people to only come to know Him as adults. He intended for us to raise our children in His knowledge, knowing Him as children and sparing them some of the adversity and tragedies that we encountered who maybe didn't come to know Him until we were adults. Amen? God intended for that to be the pattern for them to learn about Him early and walk in His light early and, and experience His protection throughout their life. Surveys show that 61% of adults who regularly attend church attended as a child because they were taught as a child to go to church. And they think, it's Sunday, I'm going to go to church. It also shows in these surveys that most people who, do not, who did not attend church as a, as a child still don't attend. And there are a lot of people who think that it's a waste of your Sunday. Why would you go to church every... You mean you go every week? You go more than once a week? What? You go Sunday and Wednesday? What? Why? Because in their mind, there's no value in it. 
They don't see the eternal value. They don't see all of these things that we've talked about, the eternal offices and the eternal preparations that are being made, that this life is just temporary. But what we do in this sanctuary, what we do when we come together, it's eternal. You are in one of the most important meetings taking place in this city today. What other legal meetings or, or governmental meetings might be taking place, they do not compare to the importance and the eternal value of this meeting that we're in right now. Amen? This is vital. And so teaching our children and preparing our children is one of the most important aspects of what we do. That's why we place a value on our children's ministry. We place a value on our youth ministry because we want to bring it into a way that's relevant to them that they can not only hear it, but keep it in their heart. Amen? Hallelujah. Proverbs 29, 18 speaks of what can happen when people do not have the vision of God or the purposes of God to live by in their life. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Can you show me the amplified of that? Where there is no vision, it says, where there is no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Where there is no redemptive revelation of God. So what we've seen as we've looked at Jesus and the ministry that he is presently occupied in today, we have seen his eternal workings in a continual redemptive fashion in our lives. We have seen that we are also called to take this place at the right hand of the Father and to operate in the authority and the privilege that He has granted us through our salvation. But we see it and that's why we're applying these things to our life. That's why we're acting on the Word. That's why we are students of the Word of God because we have that vision for our life that vision for our future, that vision for our family. We have a viewpoint that is built by God of His shining upon our path to reveal to us that we're not just down here in this earth going through life, working a job, getting money, spending money, going to the grocery store, whatever. Those are things that we may involve ourselves in, but that's not our purpose. We have a purpose that is eternal. Amen? Whenever I think about the story of Elijah and Elisha, and, you know, it came to a point where Elijah uh, was getting ready to exit this earth, and he said, I have to go to Bethel. You stay here. Three different times he said, I, God is sending me somewhere else. And Elisha, you stay here. And Elisha said, no, I won't leave you. Where If you're going, I'm going. Uh, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to be there. And he followed him every step of the way. And what was he doing? He was serving Elijah's vision. He was bringing his supply to the ministry God had given Elijah. The Bible refers to him as the one who poured water on Elijah's hands. 
And you know, he did not think that was demeaning. He didn't become such an important person that he said, don't call me the man who poured water on Elijah's hands because his honor was in his serving. If he had not served Elijah the way he served Elijah, he would not have caught the vision that Elijah had and he would not have been able to walk in the anointing that was upon Elijah and even a double portion of that anointing. But when he crossed over the Jordan with Elijah... And although those prophets came to him, the sons of the prophets came and said, don't you know your master's going to be taken today? Don't you know your master's going to be taken? They wanted ministry, but they didn't want to serve. They wanted to be recognized for their gifting, but they didn't want to serve. He said, yes, I know it. Keep your peace. Yes, I know it. Keep your peace. All of them had a gifting. They had, but they didn't grow in their gifting because they weren't serving. And when he crossed over the Jordan, he was given a, a, an honor. He said, what do you want? Ask of me what you want. And he said that a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. If you can see me when I go. Well, he in the Chaldean, that phrase actually interprets if you can see as I see, if you see as I see when I go, do we recognize the purpose of an anointing? Sometimes we get so enamored with the anointing, we just think, I want that anointing on me. I want to have that same anointing. I want to grow in the anointing. I want to operate in the anointing. I want to be used of God like that. Well, the purpose of the anointing is for a fulfillment of vision. It's not just for the person to carry it. It's not just for the person to use it. If the person doesn't have the same vision, it won't be productive for the same anointing to come upon them. But if we want the same anointing, what is the qualifier is to have the same vision. If I can see the way my leader sees, I can carry his anointing because the anointing is for the vision. And without a vision, the people perish. If I have the vision and I carry the, the vision of the leader who I have been connected to by God, it was God who called Elisha to Elijah. It was God who sent Elijah down to put his mantle over Elisha and invite him to come. But Elijah had, Elisha had to choose to burn the bridge of where he had been and commit. And we see that he had made that commitment. I am in it for the long haul. I want to serve the man of God that I've been connected to. I want to serve the vision of my local church. I want to be a faith builder and see faith builders prosper. I want to see the purpose and the plan of God on this house that has changed my life and transformed my marriage and brought me into a place of understanding the blessing of God. I want it to bless others and I want many other people. I I want it to multiply. I want it to increase. Amen. David's mighty men became mighty. They weren't mighty when they came to him. God didn't bring a bunch of mighty men to David. He brought a bunch of in-debt, distressed, discontented men to David. They were tore up from the floor up. They were a mess. And they came to David and they made David their, their leader. And in making David their leader, they committed to the plan that God had on David's life. And as they 
helped David become king. It says they became mighty men. These are the mighty men who became mighty as they helped David fulfill the plan of God for his life in Chronicles. It's not exactly that wording, but that's the essence of what it's saying. They became mighty. What did, do you know that a lot of their description sounds like David? David out there with Goliath, you come at me with a sword and the spear, I come to you in the name of the Lord, and he took a sling and, and a, a rock and defeated the giant. And then you see David's men out there, one man with a sword defending a pea patch. He's, he is protective about his lentils. I'm not going to let the Philistines. He had defeated an entire Philistine squadron with himself and the sword. He fought until his sword claved to his hands. A lot of those, they were carrying the anointing of David. They caught David's anointing as they helped him in the work. And when you connect to the local church, you're plugging into the power supply of God for your life. The anointing on this church is not just meant for Pastor Steele. It's not just meant for me or for whatever different leader is in the pulpit. But the anointing is for you. The anointing is for you to plug into it and go into your home and see that anointing turn things in your business and turn things in your finances and turn things in your marriage. That anointing is for you to benefit of and for you to carry. Hallelujah. How does it happen when I'm plugging into the vision? In that vision. I have one more example. 2 Kings chapter 4. And where would that widow who the prophet was sent to who made her last cake for the prophet, where would she have been if God hadn't connected her to a power supply? If the prophet had not been sent, where would she have been? A lot of times people look at that, have God, God prepared for the prophet. And he, he sent the ravens to feed him. And he sent the water out of the brook. But I look at that and see God prepared for that widow. God prepared for that widow. Well, we see another preparation here in 2 Kings 4. Beginning in verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. We could say... a. a, a um, a well-respected woman, a woman of high esteem. She constrained him. And my center column reference says she laid hold on him. So it was pretty insistent. It was pretty, pretty, she was, she was uh, determined, you're coming in here to eat. She constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he came by, as he passed by, he turned in there to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. So he wasn't broadcasting it. He didn't come into town saying, I'm the prophet. I'm the man of God. He, he was a traveler. 
but she perceived, she recognized. Maybe it was in the way he carried himself. Maybe it was the, the presence of God upon him. I perceive this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. And now that I know that, we've got to do something. Because I recognize the importance of this connection, we need to do something. Let's make a little chamber on the wall. That would have been a place of importance, not just like stick him in the basement, right? A place, let's, let's put a place of value, of prominence for him in our house and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candle, a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes to us, he will turn in there. Now, you know, her motive was honor. Her motive was, was to respect God by respecting him because we know that because he asked her, what do you want? Do you want me to speak to the king for you? She said, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. So it wasn't an ulterior motive. Her motive was, this is a man of God. We're going to show respect. Or we could say, pertaining to what the Lord has laid out before us today, this is the house of God. Let me bring my respect. This is where God has chosen to connect me. This is where God has chosen to bring His word to me. So because of her recognition, her perception of the importance of this connection, she wanted to provide certain things. And let's look at how these things can be applied to our lives. First of all, we see the bed. Let's set for him there a bed. And a bed represents a place of rest. Or we even could say restoration. When we sleep at night, our body is going through physical restoration. And your cells are being restored and, and all of your different stores uh, uh, of your energy supply and, and different things. Uh, that cycle of sleep is important for restoration. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When we make the vision of faith builders our own, it opens the way for God's restoration in our life. It opens the way. Many of you, I hear the amens because many of you have experienced God putting your families back together, putting things together in your life. You've seen the restoration of God in your life just as you've came and sat under the word of God and, and received the anointing that's been administered here. Hallelujah. And by making the vision of faith builders my vision and saying, I will do what is necessary. And listen, I've ran the nursery in this, in this church. I've ran the youth department in this church. I've led singing in this church. I've been the greeter. I've ushed. I've, I've ran the, I, I set up the live stream. Amen. Amen. And I didn't know how to run a computer when I came here. But I just pushed buttons. I built the first website, and it was sad. Maybe not the first. I built the second one because the first one was sad. And uh, <laughs> we had some real, and it's still out there somewhere. Sad, sad, sad. I did not build that one that's still out there. But, but you know what? I did those things because I started the tape ministry. You know, some people don't even know what a tape is, but I started it. <laughs> 
It has progressed to CD and, and podcast now. You can get it on podcast, but I was back when it was running the, the tape duplicators. I did all of those things because I believe in this family. I believe in this house. I believe in this vision. I believe in what God's called us to. And none of those things are beneath me today. None of those things were beneath me when I did them and none of those things were stepping stones to where I am. But because I was faithful, God put me in, in places that required the faithfulness. Amen. Because I was faithful as the nursery worker, as, because I was faithful as the youth pastor, because I was faithful in those areas. I learned as I did them all. I gained as I did them all. When they would come back and, and knock on the nursery door to get their children and they would be, be dripping in sweat because they'd been running around the sanctuary having one of those services that y'all know Pastor Steele uh, is, is, uh, enjoys having, those running, jumping, shouting uh, kind of services. And the first thing they did when they opened that nursery door was say, Whoo, you missed it. No, honey, I didn't miss it. I'm here serving and what you got, I get double. Because I was serving so that you could get it. Because you couldn't have ran like that if you had to carry this baby. So I was back here holding your baby so you could run and shout and roll on the floor and get all that you got. And you think God's going to let me leave empty while you got all that? No, I get double to my account. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So this importance of, of, of making the vision of faith builders ours is established here. The second thing we see is a chair. A chair represents a seat or a position. We talked about the scripture that says we are seated, positioned at the right hand of God. This chair that they made for the house of God means that we take our place and our position in the body of Christ. We take our place and our position by bringing our supply, by bringing a help. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as we do, that character, the integrity, and the maturity will be produced in our lives so that we can operate from that position of authority. Hallelujah. The third thing that we see, it says they put a table there. And a table represents spiritual food and nourishment. In the local church, as we've mentioned, we have children's ministry. We are taking the Word of God and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces where they can receive and, and, and understand God in their lives. Amen? We have women's ministry, men's ministry, youth ministry, uh, ministry in the prison. That's all spiritual food. Hallelujah. And as we help serve the food, we get to feed of the food. Amen? The, third th the fourth thing that we see here is the lamp which is always indicative of revelation, understanding, being able to see things spiritually. Hallelujah. She prepared all of these things for the person who represented the Word of God in her life. And as we bring our supply into the local church, which represents the place that God has chosen for us to join, we will also receive of that restoration as well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was because this woman had these things already in her life so that when her son came in and breathed his dying breath and laid on her knees, she had a place to go. 
she had a bed in her house where the man of God had laid. She had a relationship with the man of God so that she could go to the man of God and receive that power flowing because we're plugging into the power, right? She had a plug. She had a source of power to connect her son and receive her son raised to life. You know what I think is sad? I think it's sad how many people are going through this time without church, without, without a local church family. And there are people who are watching us today who would give anything to be able to be here. But because of circumstances, Miss Virginia Kaufman, I've talked to her personally, and she weeps for the day. She started crying to me on the phone and said, I so want to be back in church. Would you call her? If y'all know who I'm talking about, Virginia Kaufman, if you have a relationship, call her. Reach out to her. She's still a part of this church family. Marilyn Picnic. Marilyn Pitnick is, is another. Her and Steve have not been able to come because of, of situations that they are, are, are fighting in their bodies and believe in God for, and, and that they both want to be here. Amen? And they're, they're, getting, they're on uh, the, the extension cord of the live stream. They're watching by extension cord. But they want to be here seeing your face. They want to be here interacting with you. They want to be here in the presence of God when, when the worship is going forth. They want to be here. Hallelujah. And, and people who did not have a church family and are walking through things without God and without the people of God. How sad. How sad. Amen. Because... In the assembling of ourselves together, we receive. We bring a supply, but we also receive a supply. Amen. That, that people don't realize until they're disconnected from the local church what they had and what they're missing. Amen. Amen. Can we pray for some of our church family who has not been able to be here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just release our love in prayer. For those different ones, there are more than the ones that I mentioned, Father. You know every person who is limited in their capacity to be here because of what's going on in our society today, in our world today. And Father, we just pray for that love that we have to flood into their hearts today and for them to know that they are a part of this church family, even though they haven't been able to attend much. Father, that we love them and that we lift them up in prayer and that we cover them with the strength of your power in our prayer. And we thank you for it. And Father, today, I pray that as we have seen the value you place on our local church, that you would even speak to us of how we can connect in a greater capacity to this vision, that how we can bring our help to the work that's being done here so that more work can be done, so that a greater effectiveness would be had in the same way that leaders in the body of Christ in the book of Acts delegated to others some of the everyday tasks so that they could give a greater attention 
to the ministry of prayer and the word. Father, let there be a bringing of a help in the church so that there's a greater spiritual supply here. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Praise God. We've received today from the word of God. I believe that'll feed you.